which of us read last se- see this is why only one of us can drive a session because it just it, it at a certain point I need a nap after <laughs> and and this is this is Nathan Nathan gets to be snarky and take a nap so David Take us home, baby. Chapter six. Chapter six. Satan Rev. Chapter six. Now, last time I chapter drove. Chapter seven doesn't count. Last time I drove, we had this great new concept introduced in Satan Rev, and that was quoting angles, something with he definitely <laughs> did. So now, now Mark or now Lennon is going to introduce this great, great new thing into Satan Revolution, and that's ripping on Kautsky. Oh yes, it's it's all. This is like the coda. It is seriously like it, it, the beginning of the book is ripping on Kowski. The end of the book is ripping on Kowski. And in between is a Marx and Engels quote sandwich. And the bread is dunking on Kowski. And yeah, so- uh, if you haven't gotten enough dunking on Kowski with uh, uh, our first work this week, uh, because this is this should be Wednesday. The oh, oh, hey, guys, it's May uh, on Monday, a couple days ago, the end of April, we had uh, we would have released on uh, uh, Marx's uh, whole or Lenin's whole work on the Renegade Kautsky and all of his various Kautsky dunkings. But this is this is a much more pure work, and it's yes. going to be relevant. But we would be kind of remiss. And also, uh, for the record, we we are recording this right after Chapter Five. As far as we know, in the last two hours. We haven't fucked anything else up yet. No one has pinged us on Twitter to let us know we screwed anything else up. So there will be no corrections this uh, beginning of this episode. <laughs> Instead, we will replace that with David's uh, address about May Day. Yeah, so May Day uh, is an International Workers' Solidarity Day. And the history of it goes back. It's not like May didn't have a lot of ties for communism, uh, but it really comes back to the Chicago strikes in Haymarket Square and what's known as the Haymarket Affair, okay? And what happened in the Haymarket Affair is for a long time, for about 50 years, communists were fighting for what was first a, a 10-hour workday and then was an 8-hour workday for a few decades, up coming up to uh, 1887, 1886, 1886. And so in 1886, they had actually gotten legislation pushed through from all their fighting for an eight-hour workday. The problem was that wasn't enforced at all. Well, yeah. I mean, come on now. Laws are made to be not followed. By rich people. Yeah, when it's convenient for <laughs> when them. When it's convenient. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about that the last chapter, St. Rev. You know, we I, I pointed that out when you rode past as we went back to it. You know, what good is a law if you don't have the means to enforce the law, right? Uh, who enforces the law in the United States? Well, the ruling class's armed guard, you know, the cops. <laughs> and, of course, you know, May Day was a, or May, early May was a long marching significance and, and meeting time for communists. Uh, so they organized this. Well, this would May have been first. post. This would have been post commune too. The commune was the very the yes bloody week was the beginning. Bloody of May. week was was the beginning of so May. So that would have been a huge. Um, so yeah, so about a week into May, usually people would would you know memorialize the commune, and they would usually do uh, marches, strikes, demonstrations leading up to that. Okay, and uh, so. May May third uh, was the first day of these, and basically people were out, you know, striking, marching uh, for the the eight hour workday, and some cops decided that they wanted to get a little trigger happy. Something cops definitely don't do. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? And uh, six people died. 
I actually... Is, I, is this before or after we threw bombs at the cops? No, this... Dude, get in there. Get okay, in there. all right, sorry. Spoiler alert, guys. There's bombs when we throw at cops. And I, I say... I, I think six people was too short a number. Six workers died. I think it was like eight people. <laughs> Two of them were cops. <laughs> but... I was very concerned with how that was going to go because I thought it was going to be six workers and two passerby. Yes. They don't count. But if they were cops, no, they absolutely They were cops. Right. They and they I think there was also evidence that they were shot in the back. Like the cops shot their own dudes and blamed the workers. So Waco, they were, they were going to demonstrate again because, I mean, this was the first week of May. These are the, the strikes that, that lead up to the memorialism of the Paris Commune. And also they were very much, you know, on key striking, hey, we're not getting our eight-hour workday. And so May 4th happens, and there's another strike. God, uh, can you imagine? Cops. Can you just imagine for a moment, guys, back in time, 1887, any time prior to, like, 1995, you could get through a May 4th 1886, without... 1886, that was off a year. You can get through May the 4th without a bunch of shitty Star Wars jokes all day. Like, yeah. just take yourself back to that glorious time, guys. It's, oh. Uh, Oh, you miss it. And so what happens is the cops are coming up to the protesters ready to be cops. And cops don't like protesters. It's not a good, not a good thing. And so the cops come up to the protesters and somebody throws a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) And unless you're playing a game of Bomberman, that's not a thing that normally ends well. No, no. And uh, I believe one cop died and, like, two were wounded or something like that. And things kind of... Did less cops die from the bomb than the day before? And shooting themselves, yeah. Yeah, All right, well, that makes sense. But protesters, I mean, this is it. This is, you know, people talk, oh, don't use force and people... Protesters were literally bombing cops because, like, fuck you, don't shoot us. We just want to work eight hours in a day. And so this kind of became a big international situation of martyrdom and pushback and and you throw a bomb at a cop you better get a day you throw a bomb at cops things are gonna go down so the guy that supposedly threw the bomb i think was like caught and jailed and and whatever it is but the fact (laughs) there was a whole to do there was a whole to do whatever but the fact of the matter is is the eight hour day enforcement suddenly started happening after this they the workers won they said fuck you we're gonna fight back we're gonna just bomb the shit out of you you want to mess with me I think it might be relevant, too. Didn't they hang, like, a bunch of people for the Haymarket Affair? Um, yeah, let's see. I think do, a do, do, bunch do, do, of the do, do, guys, do, do, like, the leaders do, 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 got hung. Uh, I want to say... It was... I want to say I saw a drunk history on uh, this. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Parsons, Spees, Fisher, Angle. Not that Angles. Not that Angles. Uh, <laughs> Vampire Angles. <laughs> Pretty sure Angles is very dead at this point. Yes. Uh, no, he was alive for, like, two more years. Just, like, old, old-ass man. Very Europe. old angles. Euro- yeah, German exile. Imagining, I'm just imagining octogenarian angles tossing bombs yes. at cops. Just but the guy, middle finger up. The guy that threw the bomb, supposedly, and, and those guys were all hung. Uh, someone else was jailed for, like, 15 years for, I think, I can't remember what it was. It was, like, uh... Well, there was someone, I, I think there was a, fam- a, a famous kind of martyr that they got, that was kind of the, the mouthpiece for what you want, the morale or the whatever. The guy that was riling everybody, the, the, the public face of the movement, I think, got in big shit because yeah. bad things happened at a thing that he was involved. I think that's what it was. It was it was a speaker who had spoken in a different area and had ended speaking, not enough time to have gotten down 
there, but like ended speaking before the affair happened, and he was like arrested for fifteen yeah. years. Once again, if you think we've prepared this, don't just no. Stop. We go off the cuff. We're going off uh, the top. It's uh, yeah. It's there is part good, of our charm. There is a good drunk history that I think uh, Prol Proles does some stuff on it too. I think um, I would imagine. Seems I, like an area yeah. they would have covered. And, yeah, the uh, drunk history episode's fun. Yeah, um, but anyway, so basically. You know, you got the eight-hour workday because people fucking bombed cops in 1886. These are facts. And so people started taking this May Day celebration, and it kind of kicked off. It, it was in America. And they were celebrating in honor of the Haymarket Affair, and they decided May 1st. That's when the, the strikes actually kicked off, even if May 3rd and 4th were technically the Haymarket Affair. And so this was the Labor Day that started in the United States. Uh, it also became international uh, in 1889, um, 1889 or 1890, somewhere around there. Uh, people in Paris uh, talked to people in St. Louis and there were people in St. Louis were like, yeah, we celebrate the Haymarket Affair this May Day. And people in Paris were like, oh, we have this Paris Commune thing. Maybe we should make this an International Communist Day. And they did. And all of a sudden, you know, British people were doing it. This is like the second time in a week St. Louis has been a hotbed of weird socialist activity that I didn't expect of it. Yeah. It makes me feel a little better. Yeah. Um, but in the United States, at this point, it was it was the unions driving it, um, especially more than parties and organizations. Uh, it was the Carpenters Union, I think the Pipefitters Union, uh, but a few a few of the trade unions. And in Europe, it was it was basically you know the parties and just general leftists out there. And it was celebrated internationally around those two events. I think a third one got thrown in, but I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. And so that was the Labor Day for years, and communists just did it like. You were communist, you would just like skip work like any other strike or general strike or protest, and you'd go out and you'd do a May Day march. It was a big deal. And all of a sudden, America went, you know, we can't have this. This isn't good for us. And so America. Did it become a big deal? Did it become a big? I just had a curiosity. Was that did that correlate at all to like Red Scare McCarthyism time? Like, oh is that, yeah, or I mean, was it earlier than that? Even that was, uh, it was. Or was it really when the Cold War kicked off that we were like, fuck this shit, you can't. It was, let me look the exact Just, president. Well, when did Toyota did become a thing? Because it was obviously around the time that we started turning it into an opportunity to sell trucks that we, we really started getting <laughs> to pervert it. It became Toyota Thought immediately. Toyota thought. Rock Trucktoberfest or something <laughs> like that. Uh, no, it was 1894. Um, so this was before the Red Scare. This was pretty well right after it became international. That, um, that we said, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, the, what I was getting to in the, the um, um, international part of it, it was it was the second international, right? The, the one, oh, the good one that we're about to not dunk on for a, for an hour or so. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, that one was the one that said, you know what, we'll, we'll celebrate it. I think they focus more on May 4th than May 3rd. Uh, but Haymarket Affair, we'll celebrate an honor of it. We'll start doing an International Workers' Day is what it's, it's formally called. Yeah. Casually called May Day. And so a few years into this, 1892, uh, Amer- or 1894, I'm sorry, America went, you know what? We should make a Labor Day holiday so for May Day and calm a little bit is down. But just to make sure we calm it down, we won't give it May. No, no. We're going to be... move it to the other side of the calendar. Yeah, literally. In September. And then and we're literally gonna... as far away from May as you could possibly get. Yes. And just to keep it from having an exact day, nice and early in the month, we're going to make it the first Monday. 
<laughs> in September. When the moon's in the third quadrant, some Easter That's bullshit. Right. That's right. So just remember, Labor Day, Labor Day is uh, a federal bullshit anti-communist op, but also your damn holiday. It is not Memorial Day too. so... Fuck that jingoistic no. shit. And and remember, your actual Labor Day is May Day, May 1st. The Second International is honoring Americans and you having an eight-hour workday. And if you uh, went to, to college somewhere in southwest Missouri, uh, randomly, I knew about May Day, but I didn't know. It was literally just like a weird party day on campus where they brought in like segues and a bunch of like weird tech shit and we're like put it all in the quad and it's like fuck around for a day guys it's party it's May Day yes. we're gonna have booze with food and I was like alright and then I found out it was an international workers holiday and now I'm mad that I rode around on a Segway it's like solidarity but with Segways <laughs> that was really bad this is also when I was a libertarian though so I'd have probably been mad about it fuck god damn I was yeah it's a good thing you didn't know what it was we're at that all, time I feel like everyone had a cringy phase but god damn yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm atoning. Yeah. Um, we're not going to act like I'm perfect either. But no, no I was going to let you, damn it. We're going to move on. We are going to move on. Maybe 15 so sorry minutes for not in, preparing... let's start with the podcast. Sorry for not preparing better for that. No, uh, I was wanted... Okay, I was... we just wanted... We're doing this in uh, the middle, beginning of April, so we, we kind of on the fly realized that we were going to be doing this This was release on May Day. Yeah, so we went, oh shit, we should mention May Day. We definitely didn't want to pass that by. That was too big a, a thing not to mention, but uh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. benefits of trying to plan this out too far in advance. Yes. So, hey, what's right. Chapter 6 about? Well, so Chapter 6, uh, back to back to uh, uh, Satan Revolution, is ripping on Kautsky. Uh, chapter 6 is literally called The Vulgarization, Vulgarization of Marxism by <laughs> the Opportunist. Shut up. Don't ever make me drive the second I, chapter, you d- bastard. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I, oh, my, I drove for that drunk monster that we just did <laughs> with a 20-minute hockey break. We're going to start off. In general, it may be said that evasiveness over the question of relation to the proletarian revolution of the state, an evasiveness that benefited and fostered opportunism, resulted in the distortion of Marxism and its complete vulgarization. To characterize this lamentable process, if only briefly... <laughs> Lenin shall, does nothing briefly. We shall take the most prominent theoreticians of Marxism, Plakhanov and Kautsky. And for people who don't know who Plakhanov was, this was the kind of social... Democrat, essentially leader of uh, Russia during the 1905 revolution. I, I I did not have a pithy Lenin work called the Renegade Plakhanov, or I'd have read it to you on Monday as well. But <laughs> just just know. So we're gonna start with Plakhanov's controversy with the anarchists. Weird how these opportunities always seem to. You might as well just replace that Nathan's controversy with the anarchists after last week's episode because damn. <laughs> Plakhanov wrote a special pamphlet on the relation of anarchism to socialism entitled "Anarchism and Socialism." He was to the point. You give him that at point. least, <laughs> which was published in German in 1894. 1984 would have been pretty recent. Plakhanov was Plakhanov German? No, Plakhanov was Russian. Yeah, he was Russian. Is there was a was... lot of communication Russian. No, I know, and I, I and especially we get to. Kautsky, you get it. It's almost the exact opposite. It's like right. Plakhanov's over Kautsky's in Germany. Published Kautsky's published in Russia, in Russia a lot, okay. even though he's German. Yep. Yep. Uh, a the subject, Plakhanov contrived to evade completely the most urgent, burning, and politically essential issue in the struggle against anarchism, the relation of revolution to the state and the question of the state in general. His pamphlet has two distinct parts. One of them, historical and literary, and contains valuable material in the histories of Stirner, the fucking uh, egoist. 
Proudhon, we don't have Nathan Fields, and others. The other Philistine... Uh, the other is Philistine and contains a clumsy dissertation of the theme that anarchists cannot be distinguished from abandoned. We wouldn't even acknowledge that. I do love it. It's like, some of it was good. The rest of it's garbage. The rest of it was bullshit. <laughs> Throw that out. Tr- Trotsky has written a silly letter. Which <laughs> Too we silly. We shall not reply or print it. <laughs> in the most amusing combination of subjects, the most characteristic of Plakhanov's whole activity in the eve of the revolution during the revolutionary period in Russia, in fact, in the years 1905 to 1917, Plakhanov revealed himself as a semi-doctrinaire and semi-Philistine who, in politics, trailed in the wake of the bourgeoisie. That whole paragraph sounds like nonsense talk. <laughs> this is where this is where I need a David to drive because chapter six I'm like, dude, what the fuck? I feel like you're trying to dunk, but to dunk dunk clearer. Oh no no no! I mean, Bukhanov was being a silly boy and following around a the... semi doctrinaire and semi philistine. That's too many. Come on, pick yeah. a side. <laughs> In 1891, in his foreword to Marx's critique of the Gotha program, Engels wrote that we, that is Engels and Marx, were at that time, hardly two years after the Hague Congress of the First International, engaged in the most violent struggle against Bakunin and his anarchists. The anarchists had tried to claim that the Paris Commune as their own... Don't do that! ...so to speak, as a collaboration of their doctrine. And that actually is true. It was a collaboration of socialist and anarchist doctrine. And if the anarchists want to claim all of its failures, which they damn well should, they can go for it. (laughs) But they don't. They completely misunderstood its lessons and Marx's analysis of these lessons. Anarchists has given nothing, even approximating true answers to the concrete political questions. Must the old state machine be smashed? And what should be put in its place? Uh, No and nothing. Are the answers to those questions. (laughs) Are they bad answers? Sure. But they were answers. (laughs) But to speak of anarchism and socialism while completely evading the question of the state and disregarding the whole development of Marxism before and after the commune meant inevitably slipping into opportunism. For what opportunism needs most of all, that the two questions just mentioned should not be raised at all, that in itself is a victory for opportunism. Yeah, it's reform. Replace opportunism with reformism. Just this whole concept of... If you give a concrete goal-based definition of what you want to achieve, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't adapt. That's 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 the politician's nightmare, because then you're required to do it or fail. If you never give a thing that you're going to do, and it's just vague platitudes and hopefully down the road journeys, but it, I need four more years to get us to the point where I can do something good. Kite that for forty years. That that's the dream. If you say our goal is to seize the means of production. You have a thing. You've seized the means of production and you haven't. Yeah. Uh, if you say, well... We have hope for a better world where people could come together and, and collaborate our ideas. If you elect and... me to office, I'll make sure people evolve this sense of empathy that they haven't gotten over the last 500 years and uh, and, and suddenly make the, the soup recipe right for sweet-on communism, and then I'll flip that switch when it's ready. <laughs> Um, so we've done our, our little, like, we, we've entertained Plakhanov. Let him let him be the favorite. Yeah, but he, he, he kicks Plakhanov like he gets two paragraphs. Get out. Yeah, go. <laughs> we don't need you. We I have got... we have Kautsky talking I... to do, yeah. sir. <laughs> sir, sir, you are in the way. <laughs> Remove yourself. This is nonsense. And so we're going to get to Kautsky. Kautsky's controversy with the opportunist. So it's literally, it's like, I just imagine like a Batman style, like, Anarchist, pow! 
opportunist. Poof. Just, just left, right, just throwing haymakers. <laughs> Undoubtedly, an immeasurably larger number of Kautsky's works have been translated into Russian than any other language. And this is exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Kautsky crossover. Yeah. Yeah. It is not without reason that some German social democrats say in jest that Kautsky is read more in Russia than in Germany. Let us say in parentheses that this jest has a far deeper historical meaning than those who first made it suspect. The Russian workers, by making in 1905 an unusually great and unprecedented demand for the best works of social democratic literature and additions in these works and quantities unheard of in other countries, rapidly transplanted, so to speak, the enormous experience of a neighboring, more advanced country to the young soil of a proletarian movement. All right. Critique of uh, Lenin. I think he was on a word count here. I think he was getting paid by the word. Because you don't go parentheses, let us say in parentheses. That is absolutely an I have a word count to fluff on this essay. How can I fit some extra words in here? Uh, bullshit. Nonsense. I call you on it. I hear, I see what you're doing there, Lennon. Yeah. But I mean, basically say, like, you know, when the Russians were educated, they were reading Galsky. There was a guy who, who was in a more advanced country who was talking about the things that we were trying to do. Of course we wanted to read that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Why Russians... didn't you guys read the guy that was supposedly talking about democracy and then so advanced a country? Right. I mean, like, you're <clears> joking <throat> around about how we do it, and I'm sorry, we're fucking educated, assholes. All right, so anyway, he goes on. Besides his popularization of Marxism, Kautsky is particularly known in our country for his controversy with the opportunists, with Bernstein at their head. One fact, however, is almost unknown, one which cannot be ignored if we set out to investigate how Kautsky drifted into the morass of unbelievably disgraceful confusion and defense of social chauvinism during the extreme crisis of 1914 to 1915. That's uh, World War One, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah, uh, yeah um, we're calling it the supreme crisis, crisis but yeah, it was... It was Lenin def- doesn't like death. He's, he's cool with it. Like, we're not going to be afraid to, to kill the bourgeoisie, but he doesn't like death. No. So it was a crisis. The people were fighting each other and their fellow workers for the enrichment of the bourgeoisie when the bourgeoisie ran out of places to expand. Lenin doesn't like that. I think he might have something to say about that in yes. a future work. <laughs> that the fact is as follows. Shortly before he came out against the most prominent representatives of opportunism in France, Millerlin and Jouiret, and in Germany, Bernstein, Kowski betrayed a very considerable vacillation. The Marxist Zaria, uh, which is a paper that's yeah. like, yeah, I was going to say it, it was a Marxist paper, uh, which was published. It, it, it means dawn in Russian. There we go. Uh, which was published in Stuttgart in 1901 and 1902 and advocated revolutionary proletarian views, was forced to enter into controversy with Kautsky and describe as elastic the half-hearted, evasive revolution and consolation towards the opportunists that he proposed at the International Socialist Congress in Paris in 1900, the, the second international, of course. Uh, Kautsky's letters published in Germany reveal no less hesitancy on his part before he took the field against Bernstein. So, Kautsky's wishy-washy and yes. doesn't believe the thing, isn't, isn't, isn't a committed one. And why does that require us to enter into controversy? Every, that seems like such a weird turn of phrase, but I'll let it go. Moving okay. on. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, Bernstein's the lapdog. So Kautsky's the great defender. He's he's the Ilan Obar. He's the one that's standing up and calling out Elliot Abrams. And then, oh, but I also don't like Maduro and and, and think Assad's evil. You know, I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's the, the wishy-washy, half-hearty, mm-hmm. like, don't fall for it guy. 
Um, so we're going to continue. Of immeasurably greater significance, however, is the fact that in his very controversy with the opportunist and his formulation of the question, his manner of treating it, we can now see as we study the history of Kautsky's latest betrayal of Marxism, his systematic deviation towards opportunism precisely on the question of the state. Let us take Kautsky's first important work against opportunism, Bernstein and the Social Democratic Program. Kautsky refutes Bernstein in detail, but here is the characteristic thing. Bernstein, in his premises of socialism, of hero straight of, of herostration fame, accuses Marxism of bl- of Blancism, right? I mean the issue mm. in in the Paris Commune. An accusation since repeated thousands of times by the opportunists and liberal bourgeoisie in Russia against the revolutionary Marxists, the Bolsheviks. This connection, Bernstein dwells particularly on Marx's The Civil War in France and tries to quite unsuccessfully, as we've seen, to identify Marx's views on the lessons of the commune with those of Proudhon. Which, if you have listened to anything we've done, how... The amount of mental gymnastics you need to do to conflate Marx and Proudhon in relation to the commune is insanity. It is like just willfully not listening to what Marx says. It is literally 15-dimensional chess. It is so hard. Yes. Bernstein pays particular attention to the conclusion that Marx emphasizes in his 1872 preface to the Communist Manifesto, namely that the working class cannot simply lay hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own purposes. This statement pleased Bernstein so much that he used it no less than three times in his book, interpreting it in the most distorted, opportunist way. So he's saying, you know, Bernstein wrote this like, look, look, Marx said this. Marx said this. He, Marx is an anarchist. He's yeah. these fools, but he's not an anarchist. So he must be a Blanquist, you know, um, as we've seen, Marx meant that the working class must smash, break, shatter. And he actually used uh, the, the German word sprig, sprigung uh, or explode, yeah. which is the expression used by Engels, the whole state machine. But according to Bernstein, it would appear as though Marx, in these words, warned the working class against excessive revolutionary zeal when seizing power. A cruder, more hideous distortion of Marx's idea cannot be imagined. How then did Kautsky proceed this most detailed refutation of Bernsteinism? He refrained from analyzing the utter distortion of Marxism by opportunism on this point. He cited the above-quoted passage from Engels' preface to Marx's Civil War and said that according to Marx, the working class cannot simply take over the ready-state machine, but that generally speaking, it can take it over, and that is all. And of course, you should be reading that going, it cannot simply take over the ready-made state machine, (laughs) but that it can take it over... Yeah. What the? That's not fucking English, Kautsky. That's not English. No, no. Kautsky did not say a word about the fact that Bernstein attributed to Marx the very opposite of Marx's real idea. That since 1852, Marx had formulated the task of proletarian revolution as being to smash the state machine. The result was the most essential distinction between Marxism and opportunism on the subject of the task of the proletarian revolution was slurred over by Kautsky, just airbrushed right along. Moving on. We can quite safely leave the solution to the problems of the proletarian dictatorship of the future, said Kautsky, writing against Bernstein. And the against is in italics and parentheses. It's like, wait a minute, you're arguing the same thing. You're both kicking. No, damn it. Let's let's just kick the can. Like, Bernstein, you fool. 
It's not that we shouldn't have revolution. It's that we should wait till we're ready. It's a person, you mad, you mad man. It's not that we're not going to have a revolution. It's that we're going to have it well after both of us are dead and it doesn't impact us personally. <laughs> this is not a polemic against Bernstein, but in essence, a concession to him. A surrender to opportunism, for at the present, the opportunist asks nothing better than to quite safely leave to the future all fundamental questions of the tasks of the proletarian revolution. Replace that with climate change, and you've explained boomers. That's, yes. Although I don't want to do the generation bashing. It's not to the generation, but you've explained right-wingers. Right-winger climate denials. Yep. (laughs) Stand by it. Okay. From 1852 to 1891, for 40 years, Marx and Engels taught the proletariat that it must smash the state machine. Yet in 1899, Kowski, confronted with the opportunist's complete betrayal of Marxism on this point, fraudulently substituted in italics for the question of whether it is necessary to smash the machine, the question of the concrete forms in which it's to be smashed, and then sought refuge behind the indisputable and barren Philistine truth that concrete forms cannot be smashed in advance. Are we going to break it with a bat or are we going to break it with a stick? Well, why do, what, do we need to break it or how do we break it? No! Bat or stick! Yeah. It's important. Why did I pick two things that are the exact same? Because it's late and I'm tired. That's why. Back off. But, I mean, that's basically it. It's like, how do we get into the safe? All the money's in the safe. We need to get into the safe. Uh, well, I mean, we can either use this weed or a whip. Uh, none of these will work. I, I guess we can't get into the safe. I guess we'll never be rich. And like, this explain- imagine if bank robbers were like that. Uh, I mean, it's it's more logic and common sense than the fucking Pudonists used when they had a bank robbery they could have done. <laughs> it was in their backyard. It was unlocked. They chose not to. I chose a bad analogy. You did. I appreciate <laughs> it. A gulf separates Marx and Kautsky over their attitude towards the proletariat party's task of training the working class for revolution. And now we're going to move on to the next Kautsky, The Social Revolution, is his next pamphlet. Mm-hmm. In this pamphlet, the author chose his special theme, the question of the proletarian revolution and the proletarian regime. He gives much that is exceedingly valuable, but he avoided the question of the state. Throughout the pamphlet, the author speaks of winning state power, and no more, that is, he has chosen a formula which makes a concession to the opportunist. Inasmuch he admits that the possibility of seizing power without destroying the state machine, the very thing which Marx in 1872 declared to be obsolete in the program of the Communist Manifesto, is revived by Kautsky in 1902. Marx, you fool, go back to the old version. I feel like we've been spending the last like two chapters hardcore dunking on, on the anarchists for good reason. Uh, and now we're back to just punching liberals hard, 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 hard. And Which, it's so fun. Yes. It's so, I, I much I much more appreciate being in this space because I, I don't want to dunk on the anarchists. I, I oh. want them to be. To, we I have the to same be, goals. I want them to be, fr- I must say, yes, I want them to be, without being paternalist about it. I, well, come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Get on the squad. Um, but uh, liberals, we can all just can turn around and, and, and karate <laughs> kick in the face. Yeah, they get fucked. Uh, So anyway, a special section of the pamphlet is devoted to the forms and weapons of the social revolution. Here, Kautsky speaks of the mass political strike, civil war, and the instruments of the the might of the modern large state, its bureaucracy, and the army. 
but he does not say a word about what the commune has already taught the workers. Evidently, it was not without reason that Engels issued a warning, particularly to German socialists, against superstitious reverence for the state. We have we have to keep the state together. We'll solve it. We have to pressure them. We have to pressure your politicians. Elect them and pressure them, and that will that will save us all. But we can't we can't elect them and then take them out of power. We don't want a revolution with Bernie's in there, man. It it's and again you get the anarchist. There's a gap. You know we're oh we don't need any state. Well, no, you need a state. Oh, we need a state. Well, then we must have all the 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 levels and the organization and the nice office. No, we don't need that. Fucking state jackass. We're building a different one. <laughs> Take the U.S. Army. It's 800 army bases. And then just slap hammers and sickles on it. Now it's anti-imperialist. Ta-da. I'm going to build my own state with hookers <laughs> and booze. So we're going to skip down. We're going to say Kautsky disposes of the question by using such an oppressive sounding banalities as still it goes without saying we shall not achieve supremacy under the present conditions. Revolution itself presupposes long, deep, or long, deep-going struggles, which in themselves will change our present political structure. It's like, Lenin's like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, but now it's like, you know, of course we're not going to, like, instantly do things and, and get our way if we just leave things as is. It's going to take a long time. Well, duh, anyone can say that. That's not revolutionary. That just shudder away how you get there. Bears, they shit in the woods. Story at 11. That's right. Undoubtedly, this quote-unquote goes without saying, just as the fact of horses eat oats or the Volga flows into the Caspian. It is uh, th- th- That was their yeah. bears shit in the woods. Uh, it is only... Only it is a pity that an empty and bombastic phrase about deep-going struggles is used to avoid the question of vital importance to the revolutionary proletariat, namely what makes its revolution deep-going in relation to the state, to democracy, as distinct from previous non-proletarian revolutions. I mean, again, this is like the you can't just call it a people state. That's absurd. Yeah. What what makes it a people state? What's wrong with that term? What's right with that term? Why do you want to use that term? How are we going to get what you want when you're what you're trying to say when you use that term? You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. By avoiding this question, Kautsky in practice makes a concession to opportunism on the most essential point. Although in words he declares a stern war against it and stresses the importance of the idea of revolution, they're totally against billionaires. Yeah. We need a long, larger social safety net. <laughs> <laughs> How, <laughs> abolish ICE. Don't worry yeah. about custom border patrol. Leave the prisons in place, but abolish ICE. Yeah. No, they just want to name it something different and move on. To the, I yeah. mean, again, Obama deported more people than anyone, any president ever, and drone strike the fuck out of it. it. Yeah. There is no... Right, like Trump is an absolute shithead that is a jump worse on death, on making, you know, uh, ICE prisons explicit concentration camps, all these things in Obama. He still didn't expand the number of wars and the number of deaths from wars and the number of people deported nearly at the pace that that Obama did. You know, I mean, all these people are shit. All these rulers are shit. And so you're not going to just like elect the right guy. Yes. (laughs) Even if he's an old Jewish gentleman. Who, yeah. who, who we are convinced is... Even if he's going to make things worse at a slower rate than a shittier choice for the next succession of and making things worse. And even if he's going to make things demonstrably better in... He's still in not going to fix the underlying causes. And until... And especially when it's when it's so... Let's, let's imagine the New Deal 
didn't have the redlining, wasn't racialized. Let's imagine it wasn't to you know to to further ethnic you know cleansing of of um, indigenous people. Uh, let's you know, I mean, let's act like the interstate system wasn't to further ethnic cleansing of indigenous people, rat out old towns, and promote cars. But let's let's imagine it was just to bring transportation together. Let's imagine all that stuff. It's still getting fucking rolled back on. Yeah. Like hard. What what do you think you're doing? Yeah. So we're gonna continue. Uh, oh, let's see. By avoiding this question, Kautsky in practice makes a concession to opportunism, the most essential point, although in words he declares a stern war against it and stresses the importance, the idea of revolution, the idea of revolution. How much is this idea worth when one is afraid to teach the workers its concrete lessons of revolution? Or says revolutionary idealism for everything else or announces that the English workers are now hardly more than petty bourgeois. You know, I mean, it's 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 the same thing. Like what? what what good is destigmatizing the word socialism if you rob its whole fucking meeting? Yeah. What good is, you know... Well, it, it's plenty of good if you're an opportunist. It's, yeah. it's great. That's right. that's right. But that's what Lenin's getting at. You know, I mean, Kautsky's just down on opportunist. What good is, is the raised fist symbol and, you know, and all that shit, you know, if you're just using it for marketing for a company, right? And it's, yeah. So he says, Kautsky writes, and we're going to get another Kautsky quote, uh, the most varied form of enterprise, bureaucratic... <laughs> question mark, question mark. Question mark, question mark. Edited my letter there. Uh, trade unionist, cooperative, private, can exist side by side in a socialist society. There are, for example, enterprises which cannot do without a bureaucratic organization. Again, question mark, question mark. Like, why the fuck are you what bureaucracy, dude? Uh, Kaus continues, such as the railways. Here- uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Here, the democratic organization may take the following shape. The workers elect delegates who, from a sort of parliament, which establishes the working regulations and supervises the management of the bureaucratic apparatus. The management of other countries may be transferred to the trade unions, and still others may become cooperative enterprises. (laughs) This This is stupid. Yeah. This argument is erroneous. It is a step backwards compared to the explanations of Marx Engels gave in the 70s using the lesson of the commune. Like, dude, you're taking us retroactively. You're taking us from going, we need to smash this thing. There's no reason billionaires should exist back to, oh, ocean spray in spite of, I think, being in some convoluted way owned by Nestle like everything else, is a workers' cooperative. So just buy cranberry juice. (laughs) Ew. Yeah. Ew. I know they're owned by someone shitty. I can't remember who, but they're Ew. supposedly a farming workers co- cooperative. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I mean, I've watched the commercials too. Like, I see the two guys out in the field. I don't think that makes them a co-op, guys. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> as far as the supposedly necessary bureaucratic organization is concerned, and again, Len is going to draw by this. Why the fuck are you doing this bureaucratic shit? There is no difference whatsoever between a railway and any other enterprise in a large-scale machine industry, any factory, large shop, or large-scale agriculture enterprise. The technique of all these enterprises makes absolutely imperative the strictest discipline, the utmost precision in the part of all in carrying out their allotted tasks. For otherwise, the whole enterprise may come to a stop, or machinery or the unfinished product may be damaged. And all these enterprises of workers will, of course, elect delegates who will form a sort of parliament. And he's saying, you know, what what makes the railway especially socialist? Yeah. You know, I mean, what's 
workers can organize. Workers can always fucking organize. Well, no, and why? It, and and not even and what we talked about the socialist. What makes it special that it needs enterprises that cannot do without bureaucratic? The railway. You couldn't run a railway without bureaucracy. Fuck. No. Yes, you yeah. could. And it let it emphasizes that a lot. But also, you know, I mean, and we we talked about the the training. Like anyone can do it. Uh, the fact that industrializing essentially trains you to run a society. What does the railway have that working in a factory doesn't for that? It none. Nothing. None. It's nonsense. None. It's it's a it's a if if you backdoor in one or two places, it's exactly what they're going to do with healthcare. It's going to be a okay. We're going to expand it out so that most people have better. But there'll still be an option for some price because we have to have some price. You couldn't get rid of private insurance. That yeah. would be crazy. Well, even Medicare for all, we can't make sure that there's all all hospitals offer all services, especially for women's health care and, and all are available when you need it. And, you know, we just need to make sure that you just show your Medicare card and you have a cheap copay. And hopefully you live near a good hospital. That's our universal health care. Like, I mean, like, it's a fucking concession. Like, Medicare for all is a concession. When you make a concession on the concession, it's dog shit. That is a lot of concessioning. Yes. It's concession-ception. That is conception. <laughs> uh, so, let's get into you. The whole point, however, is that this quote-unquote sort of parliament will not be a parliament in the sense of the bourgeoisie parliamentary institution. The whole point is that the sort of parliament will not merely establish the working regulations and supervise the management of the bureaucratic apparatus, as Kautsky, whose thinking does not go beyond the bounds of bourgeoisie parliamentary, parliament, parliamentary working. Parliamentarianism. There you go. Parliamentary liking. Imagines in a socialist society, the sort of parliament consisting of workers' deputies will, of course, establish the working regulations and supervise the management of the apparatus. But this apparatus will not be bureaucratic. The workers, after winning political power, will smash the old bureaucratic apparatus, shatter it to its very foundations, <laughs> and raise it to the ground. Burn the, this motherfucker down! That's right. They will replace it with a new one consisting of the very same workers and other employees against whose transformation into bureaucrats the measures will at once be taken, which were specified and detailed by Marx and Engels. One, not only election, but also recall at yes. any time. Two, pay not to exceed that of a worker. Three, immediate introduction of control and supervision by all. All so that all may become quote unquote bureaucrats for a time. Therefore, nobody may be able to become the bureaucrat. <laughs> it's like in the Incredibles version of bureaucracy. If everyone's a bureaucrat, no one's a bureaucrat. <laughs> Kautsky is not reflected at all in Marx's words. The commune was a working, not parliamentary body, executive and legislative at the same time. Yep. Kautsky has not understood at all the difference between bourgeoisie parliament parliamentary shit, and which combines democracy not for the people with bureaucracy against the people and proletarian democracy, which will take immediate steps to cut bureaucracy down to the roots and which will be able to carry these measures through to the end, to the complete abolition of bureaucracy, to the introduction of complete democracy for the people. Again, look at Cuba, where, oh, my God, one party, you go to meetings and the people pick the candidates and it's grassroots all the way up. Yep. You know, and you're just voting yes, no for what the group's already decided. 
Uh, Lennon's going to continue. We're going to skip past the one-sentence paragraph and go, let us now pass to the last and best of Kotsky's works against opportunists. His pamphlet, The Road to Power, which I believe, and, and this is Lenin's words, which I believe has not been published in Russia for it appeared in 1909 when reaction was at its height in our country. This pamphlet is a big step forward since it does not deal with the revolutionary program in general, as the pamphlet of 1899 against Bernstein did, or with the task of social revolution irrespective of the time and occurrence, as 1902 pamphlet The Social Revolution did. It deals with the concrete conditions that compel us to organize that the error of revolutions is setting in. The author explicitly points to the aggravation of class antagonisms in general and to imperialism, which plays particularly important part of the respect. After the revolutionary period of 1870, or 1789 to 1871 in Western Europe, he says with a similar period, he says a similar period began in the East in 1905. A world war is approaching with menacing rapidity. And then pull quotes, it can no longer talk of premature revolution. We have entered a revolutionary period. The revolutionary era is beginning. Those are all quotes of Kowski's. Good. These, yeah, these statements are perfectly clear. This pamphlet of Kowski's should serve as a measure of comparison of what the German Social Democrats promised to be before the imperialist war and the depth of degradation which they, including Kautsky itself, sank when the war broke out. The present situation, Kautsky wrote in the pamphlet under survey, is fraught with danger that we, the German Social Democrats, may easily appear to be more moderate than we really are. It turned out that in reality, the Social Democratic Party was much more moderate and opportunist than it appeared to be. Yeah. It is all the more der- characteristic, therefore, that although Kautsky so explicitly declared the era re- revolution had already begun in the pamphlet, which he himself said was devoted to the analysis of political revolution, he again completely de- avoided the question of the state. And how are you going to have a revolution if you don't know if you're smashing the state? These evasions of the question, these omissions and equivocations inevitably added up to that complete swing over to opportunism, which we shall now have to deal. Kautsky, the German Social Democrat spokesman, seems to have declared, abide by revolutionary views in 1899. I recognize above all the inevitability of the social revolution of the proletariat in 1902. I recognize that the advent of a new area of revolutions 1909 still i'm going back on what mark said as early as 1852 since the questions of the task of the proletarian revolution in relation to the state is being raised in 1912 it is with this point blank form that the question was put in kautsky's controversy with panic i don't know how to say it yeah i've read it p-a-p-a-n-n-e-k-o-e-k panic coke panic panic i don't know so then we're going to transition to section three. Kautsky's controversy with Panikok. That's what I'm going to say. In opposing Kautsky, Panikok came out uh, one of the representatives of the quote-unquote left radical trend, which included Rosa Luxemburg, Carl yeah. Raddick. Carl Raddick was good, too. They started the Spartans together. They both got killed by the Freight Corps. So don't forget him, but we love Rosa. And others. Advocating revolutionary tactics, they were united in the conviction that Kautsky was going over to the center, which wavered in an unprincipled manner between Marxism and opportunism. This view uh, proved perfectly correct by the war, when the centrist 
wrongly called Marxist trend, or Kautskyism, revealed itself in an alt-repulsive wretchedness. Hey, you remember when we mentioned at the beginning that this book was kind of written, and I don't want to say this book was the, the, the dawn of Lenin ripping on Kautsky. And, you know, I mean, he obviously wrote The Renegade Kautsky. Yes, uh, he did. He also, we will get into some Kautsky rips when we get into imperialism, which he wrote right before this. But World War One was when Lenin, long time, I mean, you know, he followed and listened and worked with Radek and Kautsky and Rosa, and he thought they were all great. And Kautsky was the main leader. He was the one most people followed. And Lenin was a huge Kautsky disciple. And then World War One broke out, and Kautsky started this nationalism, clear opportunism stuff, and Lenin went, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And... So Lenin was starting to be animus towards Kautsky and going back and rereading Marx himself to see, no, Marx got this wrong or Marx got this right and Kautsky got this wrong, blah, 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 blah. And when that happened, not only did he like analyze World War One, write imperialism, but when the February Revolution broke out and it was clearly revolution time in Russia, Lenin went, fuck. I'm just going to rip on Kautsky because I don't want this opportunism seeping into this revolution. I just found out a couple years ago that the guy I idolized essentially was this opportunist pile of shit. I don't want that happening in Russia. I'm going to reread everything Marx and Engel wrote, take a billion notes and write a giant book about how they were right here and all these shitheads are lying about them. That's what this book is. And so you can see that now. You can see the animosity in Lenin. In, I mean, listen, Kautskyism revealed itself in all its repulsive wretchedness. Lenin felt stabbed in the back. And at this point, the stab in the back was a few years old, but his animosity towards Kautsky wasn't lightening up over no. those years. In fact, this book is kind of the culmination of, of that feeling stabbed in the back. And then after that, he just had his own. I mean, he went back. I think Renegade Kautsky was written after this. So he went back and, and revisited this. And, and certainly cared about international socialism, but he had a revolution to deal with. So this is the, the pinnacle, the crescendo of that feeling stabbed in the back by Kautsky. And uh, so Kautsky's, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Panikok's work was Mass Action Revolution, where Panikok described Kautsky's attitude as one of passive radicalism and as a theory of inactive expectancy. Kautsky, and this is Panikok, quote, Kautsky refuses to see the process of revolution. And so we're going to get into Panikok's full quote. It says, The struggle of the proletariat is not merely a struggle against the bourgeoisie for state power, but the struggle against state power. The content of this, the proletarian revolution, is the destruction and dissolution of the instruments of power of the state with the aid of the instruments of power of the proletariat. The struggle will cease only when, as a result of it, the state organization is completely destroyed. The organization of the majority who will then have demonstrated its superiority by destroying the organization of the ruling minority. And then Lenin replies, The formulation by which Panikok presented his ideas suffers from serious defects, but its meaning is clear nonetheless. It is interesting to note how Kautsky combated it. And obviously the, the serious defects Lenin's alluding to is, is the openness of language where it can be uh, co-opted by anarchism. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and co-opted by anarchism, opportunism, co-opted by anything, something yeah. where it's, it's vague. Sure, but uh, other than that, I mean, like, the meaning's clear if yeah. you're not being an opportunist, and the meaning's good, Yeah, you know. Um, and so Kautsky writes, 
Up to now, the antithesis between social democrats and the anarchists has been that the former wish to win state power while the latter wish to destroy it. Panacoke wants to do both. <laughs> and Lenin's going to say, although Panacoke's exposition lacks precision and correctness, not to speak of other shortcomings of his article bearing on the present subject, Kautsky seized precisely on the point of principle raised by Panacoke. And on this fundamental point of principle, Kautsky completely abandoned the Marxist position and went over wholly to opportunism. Kautsky wanted to sound like a smartass and turned out to be a douchebag. You don't believe in reputable sources like CNN? You're going to trust some blog? You know, I mean, that, that kind of bullshit. And so Lenin's going to say the distinction between Marxists and the anarchists is this. One, the former, while aiming at the complete abolition of the state, recognized this aim can only be achieved after classes have been abolished by the socialist revolution as a result of the establishment of socialism, which leads to the withering way of the state. The latter want to abolish the state completely overnight, not understanding the conditions under which the state could be abolished. Two, the former Marxist recognize that after the proletariat has won political power, it must completely destroy the old state machine and replace it with a new one consisting of an organization of armed workers after the type of the commune. The latter, the anarchist, while insisting on the destruction of the state machine, have a very vague idea of what the proletariat will put in its place and how it will use its revolutionary power. These anarchists even deny that the revolutionary proletariat should use state power. They reject its revolutionary dictatorship. And three, the former, the communist, demand that the proletariat be trained for revolution by utilizing the present state. The anarchists reject this. In this controversy, it is not Kautsky but Panikoke who represents Marxism, for it was Marx who taught that the proletariat cannot simply win state power in the sense that the old state apparatus passes into new hands, but must smash this apparatus, must break it and replace it with a new one. Kautsky abandons, Marx Kautsky abandons Marxism for the opportunist camp. For this destruction of the state machine, which is utterly unacceptably opportunist, completely disappears from his argument and leaves a loophole for them in that conquest may be interpreted as the simple acquisition of a majority. To cover up his distortion of Marxism, Kowski behaves like a doctrinaire. He puts forward a quotation of Marx himself. In 1850, Marx wrote that resolute centralization of power in the hands of state authority was necessary, and Kautsky triumphantly asked, does Panacoke want to destroy centralism? Obviously a bit disingenuous. A little bit. This is simply a trick, like Bernstein's identification of the views of Marxism and Perdonism on the subject of federalism against centralism. Kautsky's quotation is neither here nor there. Centralism is possible with both the old and the new state machine. If the workers voluntarily unite their armed forces, this will be centralism. But it will be based on the complete destruction of the centralized state apparatus, the standing army, the police, and the bureaucracy. Kautsky acts like an outright swindler, evading the perfectly well-known arguments of Marx and Engels on the commune, and plucking out a quotation which has nothing to do with the point in the issue. Kautsky continues, another fun Kautsky quote, <coughs> Perhaps he, Panacoke, wants to abolish the state functions of the officials, but we cannot do without officials even in the party and trade unions, Boo. let alone in the state administration. And our program does not demand the abolition of state officials, but that they be elected by the people. We are discussing here not a form of administrative apparatus of the future state, but whether the political struggle... Whew, 
abolishes, literally dissolves, the state power before we have captured it, which ministry with its officials should be abolished. Then he follows an enumeration of the ministries of education, justice, finance, war. No, not one of the present ministries will be removed by our political struggle against the government. I repeat, in order to prevent this misunderstanding, we are not discussing here the form of the future state will be given by the victorious Social Democrats, but how the present state is changed by our opposition. you got to think practical. Man. Oh, yeah. Power. you got to know what the rural white voters will vote for. Not you ever, so stop. <laughs> Let it continues. This is an obvious trick. Panacoke raised the question of revolution. Both the title of his article and the passage above clearly indicate this. By skipping the question of opposition, Kowski substitutes the opportunists for the revolutionary point of view. What he says means, at present, we are in opposition. What shall we be after we've captured power? That we shall see. Revolution has vanished, and that is exactly what the opportunists wanted. The point at this issue is neither opposition nor political struggle in general, but revolution. Revolution, and again, this is almost like authoritarianism all over again. Revolution consists in the proletariat destroying the administrative apparatus and the whole state machine, replacing it with a new one made up of the armed workers. Kowski displays a superstitious reverence for ministries, but why can they not be replaced, say, by committees of specialists working under sovereign, all-powerful Soviets of workers and social deputies? Valid question. The point is not at all whether ministries will remain, whether committees of specialists or some other bodies will be set up. That is quite immaterial. The point is whether the old state machine, bound by thousands of threats to the bourgeoisie and permeated through and through with routine inertia, shall remain or be destroyed and replaced with a new one. Revolution consists not in a new class commanding, governing with the aid of the old state machine, but in this class smashing that machine and commanding, governing with the aid of a new machine. Kautsky slurs over this basic idea of Marxism, or he does not understand it at all. I'm going with the latter. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's I, more generous. I, that's that's very nice of you. I'm, I think Led is going with the former. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, we're going to skip a paragraph and say, We cannot do without officials under capitalism, under the rule of the bourgeoisie. The proletariat is oppressed. The working people are enslaved by capitalism. Under capitalism, democracy is restricted, cramped, curtailed, mutilated by all the conditions of wave slavery and poverty and misery of the people. This and this alone is the reason why the functionaries of our political organizations and trade unions are corrupted, or rather tend to be corrupted, by the conditions of capitalism and betray the tendency to become bureaucrats i.e. privileged persons divorced from that or standing above the people. So this is saying, you know, Lenin's saying, like, we need trade unions as long as we're stuck under capitalism. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we don't need a, a bureaucratic trade union like, um, oh, what is the, uh, the AFL-CIO has some sub-organization like AI something, something, something that's literally a CIA op for xenophobia within the organization you know we don't need that kind of like state tied in bureaucracy shit. no and we don't even need the bureaucracy that you're going to get from that i think i think another way of reading into that is is look we need trade unions trade unions are are, are by nature are good thing trade unions under capitalism are going to be it's back to that base and superstructure you have a, a what should be an above board a good thing 
that is getting influenced so heavily by a base that incentivizes you to treat it like a form of bureaucracy and government and rise to a level where you are able to exploit someone else and, and, and make your, you know, get your surplus labor out and do your thing. It's going to exist because that's the system that they're working within. That is the system they're, they're, they're doing. Now, again, does that make... Yeah. And this isn't totally trade unions. It's also representatives. This is like, everything. This yeah. is everything. Like you, your, your work, your job, your local uh, neighborhood council, it's all being influenced by the fact yeah. that capitalism trains you to behave a certain way. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the same thing. You know, like, under capitalism, of course you want the least harmful representative elected. Yes. Right? I mean, of course, of course, you would. We're like going to sit here and dunk on Bernie. If we go into a voting booth tomorrow and it's Bernie versus Trump, we're voting for Bernie. Right. Like, I mean, you know, the practicality takes a takes a point at some point. Right. Right. I mean, and and you know, I personally obviously believe like in the practicality of going ahead and voting third party. Absolutely. And I apologize. Yeah. That that's a, but that's but a let's good point. let's say it is I truly as two option. party as the the public says it is. Right. Yeah. And it really is Bernie and Trump like the only two choices. Uh, of course, you're going to pick Bernie. Like, let's say third party has no function or possibility whatsoever. Uh, yeah. I mean, of course, you're going to pick Bernie. So, I mean, you know, that's that's something that makes sense under capitalism. But under communism, why the fuck would you like try to pick the less harmful one, even though he's still bad with imperialism? No, these guys would be your bitch. Everybody would grab out the guns and you would rip them out of office and put someone in who would listen to you. Yeah. You would be in charge. And you could just keep recalling until you get to that point that you right. feel you're represented. Right. You would be in charge. Get these assholes out of the way that are, are self-serving. So Lenin says, that is the essence of bureaucracy. Until the capitalists have been expropriated and the bourgeoisie overthrown, even proletarian functionaries will inevitably inevitably be bureaucratized to a certain extent. According to Kautsky, since elected functionaries will remain under socialism, so will officials, so will bureaucracy. This is exactly where he's wrong. Marx is referring to the example of the commune, showed that under socialism, functionaries will cease to be bureaucrats. To be officials, they will cease to be so in proportion as, in addition to the principle of the elected officials, the principle of recall at any time is also introduced. As salaries are reduced to the level of wages of the average workman, and as parliamentary institutions are replaced by working bodies, executive, legislative, at the same time. They're going to be people that administer and answer to your will because we can pull them out of office any time. It's not going to be a lucrative career. They're no. It's just going to be people who do a thing. Yes, and most of them will be doing it for altruist. Generally speaking, you're going to get the right people in that job at that time. It's the same argument that you keep coming up with. Well, why would anyone be a doctor if you go to socialized med... Because hey, spoiler alert! It some people genuinely want to be doctors to right. help people. Like that's that's an actual motivation. It, it is not just because I want to make a lot of money. Like there there are other reasons for things. Right. I mean, and people are are going to say like, why would anyone want to be a, a a janitor in socialism? Well, not only a lot of people just simply don't do that, not because it's gross, but because there's no goddamn money in it and shamed on society. You yeah. take that away, a lot of people would not mind being custodians at all. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, easily. Yeah. Um, so as a matter of fact, 
the whole of Kowski's argument against Panacoke, and particularly the former's wonderful point that we could not do without officials even in our party and trade unit organizations, is merely a repetition of Bernstein's old, quote-unquote, arguments against Marxism in general. In his renegade book, Back to the Renegades, Premises of Socialism, Bernstein combats the idea of primitive democracy, which he calls doctrinaire democracy, binding mandates, unpaid officials, impotent central representative bodies, etc., to prove that this primitive democracy is unsound. Bernstein refers to the experience of the British trade unions as interpreted by the Webbs. Seventy years of development and absolute freedom, he says, convinced the trade unions that primitive democracy was useless and they replaced it by ordinary democracy, i.e. parliamentarism combined with bureaucracy. I think I got to that word. Uh, no. No. In reality, the trade unions did not develop in absolute freedom, but in absolute capitalist slavery, under which it goes without saying a number of concessions to the prevailing evil, violence, falsehood, exclusion of the poor from affairs of higher administrative, cannot be done without. Under socialism, much of the primitive democracy will inevitably be revived, since for the first time in history of civilized society, the mass of the population will rise to taking independent part not only in voting and elections, but also in the everyday administration of the state. Under socialism, all will govern in turn and will soon become accustomed to no one governing. Marx's critico-analytical genius... <laughs> he loves all right, Marx. now. Come on now. <laughs> Marx's galaxy brain, not in yeah, the attic way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saw the practical measures of the commune, the turning point that the opportunists fear do not want to recognize because of the cowardice, because they do not want to break irrevocably from the bourgeoisie, and which the anarchists do not want to see either because they're in a hurry or because they do not understand all the conditions of great social change. I love Because they're yeah. in a hurry. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> We must not even think of destroying the old state machine, but, and this is a quote by uh, Kautsky, but how can we do without the ministries and officials, argues the opportunist who can completely, who is completely saturated with the Philistinism and who at bottom not only does not believe in revolution, in the creative power revolution, but lives in mortal dread of it. Of course, he mentions Mensheviks and SRs there. Yep. We must think only of destroying the old state machine. It is of no use probing into the concrete lessons of early proletarian revolutions and analyzing what to put in its place and how it's been destroyed, argues the anarchist. Consequently, the tactics of the anarchist become the tactics of despair instead of a ruthlessly bold revolution effort to solve concrete problems while taking into account the practical conditions of mass movement. Marx teaches us to avoid both errors. He teaches us to act with supreme boldness in destroying the entire state machine. And at the same time, he teaches us to put the question concretely. The commune was able in the space of a few weeks to start building a new proletarian state machine by introducing such and such measures to provide wider democracy and uproot bureaucracy. Let us learn revolutionary boldness from the communards. Let us see the practical measures the outline of really urgent and immediately possible measures, and then following this road, we shall achieve a complete destruction of bureaucracy. The possibility of this destruction is guaranteed by the fact that socialism will shorten the working day, will raise the people to a new life, will create such conditions for the majority of the population as will enable everybody, without exception, to perform state functions, and this will lead to the complete withering away of every state in general. 
Another great Kautsky oh, quote. Oh, good. Its object, the object of the mass strike, cannot be to destroy the state power. Ugh, log sigh. Yeah. Its only object can be to make the government compliant on some specific question or to replace a government hostile to the proletariat with one meeting it halfway. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, you should be, like, ready to throw shit at Kowski right fuck now. Fuck off. But never, under no circumstance, can it, that is, the proletarian victory of a hostile government, lead to the destruction of state power. And by the way, the February Revolution in Russia would like to have a word with you, Kowski. Yeah. It can lead only to a certain shifting of the balance of forces within state power. The aim of our political struggle remains, as in the past, the conquest of state power by winning a majority in parliament and by raising parliament to the ranks of the master of government. Oh. Give parliament the army, guys. Yeah, and more importantly, yeah, let's make make sure our system that fundamentally alters uh, how how we do human interaction in society and the rest of that kind of shit is dictated by maintaining majorities in parliament. Yeah, that seems like a foolproof way to make sure this doesn't revert and turn into I don't know fascism real quick once the ratchet effect kicks in. <laughs> so Len is gonna Len is gonna jump on. This Such is nothing but the. <laughs> this is nothing but the purest and most vulgar opportunism, yeah. repudiating revolution in deeds while accepting it in words. Kowski thoughts go no further than a government willing to meet the proletariat halfway, a step backwards to Philistinism compared with 1847, when the Communist Manifesto proclaimed the organization of the proletariat as the ruling class. Kautsky will have to achieve his beloved unity with the Sheedmans, Plakhanovs, Valdervedes, all of whom agree to fight for the government, willing to meet the proletariat halfway. We, however, shall break with these traitors to socialism, and we shall fight for the complete destruction of the old state, in order that the armed proletariat itself may become the government. These are two vastly different things. Kautsky will have to enjoy the pleasant company of Legines and Davids and Plakhanovs, Pestrikovs, Saratellis, and Chernovs, who are quite willing to, and yes, no, I don't expect you to know all those names, who are quite willing I to don't. work for the shifting of the balances of forces within the state power. Move the state left. Yeah. For winning a majority in parliament and for raising parliament to the ranks of the masters of government, a most worthy object that is wholly acceptable to the opportunists and that keeps everything within the bounds of the bourgeoisie's parliamentary republic. Try to do a revolution, but flatter power. How do you do a revolution of flatter power? It's, I mean, come on. Yeah. We, however, shall break with the opportunist, and the entire class-conscious proletariat will be with us in this fight, not to shift the balance of forces, but to overthrow the bourgeoisie, to destroy bourgeoisie parliamentarism. For democratic republic of the type of the commune, or a republic of the Soviets of workers and social deputies, for a revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. Yeah. Skipping down uh, a paragraph. See, that's... see. Ugh, he was so close. He was so close. Could have ended it there. Yeah, he's going to end it just fine. Uh, just <laughs> Going to end it just fine, sir. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. Skipping down a paragraph. We are justified in drawing the conclusion that the second... Uh, that the Second International, that is, the overwhelming majority of its official representatives, has completely sunk into opportunism. The experience of the commune has been not only ignored, but distorted. 
far from inoculating the workers' minds in the idea that the time is nearing when they must act to smash the old state machine, replace it with a new one, and in this way make their political rule the foundation for socialist organization of society. They've actually preached to the masses the very opposite and have depicted the conquest of power in a way that has left thousands of loopholes for opportunism. The distortion and hushing up of the question of the relation of the proletarian revolution to the state could not but play by an immense role at the time when states that possess and expand a military apparatus as a consequence of imperialist rivalry have become military monsters, which are exterminating millions of people in order to settle the issue of whether Britain or Germany, this or that's finance capital, is to rule the world. Stop buying into the people who are fucking killing you so that <laughs> their pocketbook is bigger than their other ruling class neighbors. Very fair. And that would be a good end to a book. But technically. But as is tradition with uh, works on Mark's Madness, there's an unnecessary addendum. There's an, so there's chapter seven. We are now going to do a new thing on State Revolution. Bah, 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 two chapter episode. We are getting into another chapter. We're going to read the entirety of chapter seven. Get ready. Strap in. Here it is. The experience of the Russian revolutions of 1905 and 1917. First paragraph. The subject indicated in the title of this chapter is so vast that volumes could be written about it. The present... The, pamphlet we shall leave we shall have to confine ourselves naturally to the most important lessons provided by the experience those bearing directly upon the tasks of the proletariat and the revolution with regard to state power here the manuscript breaks off guys script to the first it's, edition it's literally literally that scene in monty python where the monster comes and eats him halfway ah like what what Finish the sentence, Lennon! <laughs> Postscript to the first edition. The most joyous thing you will read in any Marxist theory. This pamphlet was written in August and September 1917. I had already drawn up the plan for the next seventh chapter, The Experience of the Russian Revolutions of 1905 and 1917. Apart from the title, however, I had no time to write a single line of this chapter. Bullshit, you wrote two. You wrote a whole couple. I was, I was interrupted by a political crisis, the eve of the October Revolution of 1917. I have to imagine, again, I love, because it says the manuscript breaks off. So I just kind of imagine that he's Lenin hunched over, riding, ooh, state power. Ooh, and then also just someone knocks it. Lenin! Lenin, we're doing a revolution! Lenin, it's revolution time! Come on, Lenin! Grab Son your hat! Bitch! <laughs> just can't finish. Run! <laughs> Anyway, it was interrupted by a political crisis, the eve of the October Revolution of 1917. Such an interruption can only be welcomed, but the writing of the second part of this pamphlet, the experience of the Russian revolutions of 1905 and 1917, will probably have to be put off for a long time. It is more pleasant and useful to go through the experience of revolution than to write about it. <laughs> the author, oh. Petrograd, November 30th, 1917. The happiest thing you will ever read in a book of theory. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I've got some revolution shit to do. We'll come back to this. We, we've got to go be happy and make things. And we, we done did it. We got to go do it. Also, I only have seven years to live, so I better get going. Yeah. Live, let's, let's Tim McGraw live like we were dying. Let it, yeah. Now, the interesting part about this edit, and we discovered this the other day, there's a little chronology 
and I like it. And I, I don't know. You're if not going to read no. them the timeline, correct? No, we're not going to read. The okay, timeline. if you want to, I, we if, if you're if you're very interested, in it, we can post it. But it is interest. I mean, it's interesting, but it would not be interesting audio. Yeah, it would. It would not. No, but uh, the one thing I wanted to take from it was. Uh, let's see. 1918. Lenin published The State and Revolution. And then Kautsky published The Dictatorship of the Proletariat. And then Lenin published The Proletarian Revolution and The Renegade Kautsky. Just. <laughs> There's your 1918 timeline right there. It's also <laughs> hilarious that in 1918, Kautsky's writing on the. Like, dude. You're wrong. You've uh, been proven wrong. We did the thing that you said we can't do and shouldn't do. Right. Go home. Lenin did the revolution and then published this great work that is largely Kautsky's a bunch of bullshit. And then Kautsky came out with some bullshit and then Lenin immediately went, no, 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 no. Kautsky still sucks. Here's yeah, how this no. works bullshit. And then the very next year, there's a third international. And guess where it is? Fucking Moscow. Where this shit happens. And, and then Lenin dies. And the, yeah, shut up. I'm just saying, we're doing timelines. It's the next thing. Uh, so anyway, that is the state revolution. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't go back. There's a bibliography at the end of this. Like a biographical and organizational go- where it just defines the names of some of these people. Oh, God. I forgot. This is published by Trotskyist. I'm worried about the Stalin one. Oh, God, <laughs> the fucking Stalin one. It probably doesn't mention him because he's not mentioned in the book. No, it probably has him murdering people with laser eyes in I his mean, sleep. But he's not in the book. This is all just like definitions of things in the book, like Herbert Spencer. And- nope. Nope, there he is. Nope, yeah. There he is. He's yep. got a big old paragraph. Early yep. member of the Bolsheviks. Yeah, let's see. Brutal purges. Yep, this is Played this is exactly what you think it is. Smashing. Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the five-year plan. The five-year plans. The five-year plans were not about industrialization and empowering the socialists. They're about smashing all international political opposition. He <laughs> personified the bureaucratic for, term. Forcing industrialization on these poor people. Yeah. Look, I'm very sorry. Sometimes Fucking we, we buy books by Trotskyists because they're very good about publishing books. Yes, they are. They're, if God they're good at. damn it. There's one there thing. is a reason for Trotsky the Trotsky assassinated on Stalin's orders in Mexico. Yeah. Thanks. I, well, yeah, I mean, that that's, I, I mean, the idea of personal orders is pretty dumb, but that's, that's fair. Um, honestly, I just scrolled down to the Trotsky and met you with it, and as bad as the Stalin thing is, I expected the Trotsky thing to be more fluffy. It's it's actually pretty measured. Yeah. That's not a bad I think it's probably more of a Lenin work that they leaned more to Trotsky, but they acknowledged that Lenin should have just stayed alive. Yeah, okay. But uh, anyway, that is what we have on the State and Revolution. The next time we meet with you, uh, we will... We, the next time we meet with you, we'll be breaking into your house. Turn around. Look behind you. It's us. We're there. <laughs> We're hanging out. We're eating your Doritos. <laughs> the next time we're with you, we will be doing uh, Imperialism, the Highest State of Capitalism, which Lenin actually wrote right before State and Revolution, and we're reading right after, but chronologically it, it makes sense in, in gaining the lessons of, of theory. Um, but it's a great work, and uh, it's very, very relevant today, and uh, we will see you.